I often say that one of the best things that going to Asbury Theological Seminary did for me was that it gave me the tools I needed to become a lifelong student of the Bible. And learning uh, about the so-called synoptic problem in a class in New Testament introduction, which at the time seemed pretty impractical and irrelevant, uh, taught me the importance of comparing the accounts in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and to observe, you know, their similarities and differences in the way they uh, record same, the same events. Later, when I was a preacher, I often found that there was a sermon in their differences. I wonder if that isn't the case in Luke's account here of the Lord's Supper. In, in both Matthew and Mark's version, immediately after Jesus offers the bread and the wine, after he says, this is my body, this is my blood, we're told that they sang a hymn and they left the upper room and they all went out to the Mount of Olives. In Luke's account, however, there's, there's nothing about a hymn sing, but sandwiched between these two things, the offering of the bread and the wine to the disciples, and they're leaving to go to the Mount of Olives are four little dialogues, four little conversations Jesus has with the disciples. Now, Mark and Matthew have some of these in their account too, but they just don't arrange them exactly the way that Luke does. If you analyze these four little conversations, these little dialogues, you, you'll discover they all have one thing in common. They all have to do with the faults and the failures and the faithlessness of the disciples. And in the first one of these, Jesus announces to the disciples that he's going, that someone among them, even at the table, is going to betray him. And of course, that sets off a discussion among the disciples as to which one is the one that's going to do it. In the second dialogue, a dispute arises among the disciples as to which one is the greatest, and it's evident that even though he's been with them three years and they've been over this time and time again, the disciples still don't get it. And so Jesus has to remind them again that in his upside-down kingdom, it's the one who serves that is the, one, that is the greatest. Well, in the, in the third dialogue, Jesus talks specifically to Peter. Peter, of course, he insists that he's willing to go with Jesus to prison and to death, but Jesus declares in no uncertain terms that Peter, before this night is over, before the cock crows, you'll deny me three times. The fourth dialogue is maybe the strangest one, but it exposes the fearfulness of the disciples and their lack of faith. You remember earlier uh, when they were in Galilee that Jesus had sent the disciples out on a preaching mission and he had told them to take nothing with them. You know, no purse, no bag, not even an extra pair of sandals. They had obeyed, they went out trusting God to take care of them and they came back rejoicing because he had. But now they're in Jerusalem and things are tense. And there are people here who want to kill Jesus. 
And so a couple of them have gone out and bought swords to protect themselves with. We know that it won't be too long before Peter uses one of those swords. But the point is, uh, they're no longer trusting God to take care of them. Now they've taken matters into their own hands, and Jesus calls them out on that. He lets them know that he knows what's going on. Now, stop for a moment and think about it. This is my body. This is my blood. The offer of the bread and the wine and all that's wrapped up in that. Salvation, forgiveness, healing, deliverance, transformation, new covenant, eternal life. All that, and then right after it, these four little dialogues displaying the failures and the faults and the faithlessness of the disciples. Do you see the utter incongruity of it? These two things, this incredible offer and the people to whom this offer is made, they just don't go together at all. But maybe, just maybe, that's the very point that Dr. Luke is trying to get across to us. That wonder of wonders, they do in fact go together. That the bread and the wine is offered not to people who deserve it, but to people who definitely and undoubtedly don't. Now, I, I think you've probably figured out where this is going. Are you and I any different than they were? You know the answer to that. And just like Jesus knew the disciples inside out, Jesus knows you and me inside out too. And he knows our secret sins. He knows our half-heartedness. He knows our hypocrisy. He, he knows our attempts to exalt ourselves and to protect ourselves. And he knows our denials and our betrayals and our failures. And yet, to you and me, this morning, as we come to the table, the very same offer that was made to them is made to us. Take, eat, drink. Now, it, it doesn't make any sense, does it? It's too good to be true. And yet, praise God, it is true. A.J. Cronin was a medical doctor who went on to become a famous novelist in the middle of the 20th century. And in one of his books, he tells a story about a family he knew when he was living in Connecticut by the name of Adams. It was 1947, and it was shortly after the Second World War, and Mrs. Adams, who had a soft spot in her heart for children, wanted to take in a refugee child. Now, there were so many of them after World War II. So much, so much help that was needed. And well, her husband Henry wasn't all that keen on the idea at first. After all, they, they, they had two daughters. They had a young son, but he loved his wife. And for the sake, for the sake of his dear wife, he agreed, okay, he said, at least we, we can do that for a while. 
Cronin said that he was with Henry Adams when they traveled down to New York City to pick up the child. He was a gaunt, undernourished, little seven or eight-year-old boy from somewhere in Italy. Couldn't speak a word of English. His, his first name was Paul, and he had a last name that, based on the spelling, no one was quite sure how to pronounce. Piotros Danaisi, was it? Well, they brought Paul to their home, and he began living with them, but it wasn't very long before they began to wonder if they'd made a mistake. Because you see, the more English he learned, the more he lied. And the more purposely he tried to deceive people, and they, they, he didn't seem to have much of a sense of property rights, and they caught him stealing several times. Now, Adams tried to be affectionate with Paul, but he always sort of tensed up and, and pulled away. The only person in the family that he seemed to want to get close to was their young son, Sammy. Two boys were about the same age, and they, they, they became inseparable. Then one day, uh, Paul, in direct violation of something that Henry Adams had told him not to do, went swimming in a polluted stream nearby. And as a result of that, he, he caught an infection, came down with a raging fever. They took him to the doctor and they began to treat him. And, and, and because that, that infection was so contagious, the, the doctor warned the Adams not to let Paul get anywhere near Sammy. So they had an extra room up in the attic and they sort of turned it into a bedroom for a while so, Sammy, so Paul rather could sleep up there. Well, a couple of days went by and Paul uh, seemed to be getting better. But then uh, the next morning, when Henry Adams went to wake up his son, Paul was in the bed with Sammy. He had woken up in the middle of the night. He was up in the attic, and he was frightened, and so he had come down, gotten in bed with Sammy. Well, as a result of that, Sammy caught that infection. But unlike Paul, he didn't get better. Four days later, he was dead. And A.J. Cronin was, was out in California at the time working on a project there, and when he read the letter from Henry Adams informing him about what had happened, he, it, his heart was just broken, and he grieved for the family, but he was also furious at Paul for what he had done. So he immediately dashed off an angry letter urging Henry Adams to get rid of Paul as soon as he could. Well, six months later, when he was back east, he went to visit the Adams. And as he uh, approached their home and got out of his car to work up, walk up toward the house, uh, he couldn't believe what he saw. Henry Adams was out working in the garden, and there was a boy beside him working at his side. It was Paul. 
Cronin couldn't, couldn't believe it. And later on, when he was alone with, Hen- with Henry, he, he expressed his disdain. What's this Paul Piotro, whatever his name is, still doing here, he said. I don't believe you still have him after what he did. Oh, yes, said Henry Adams, quietly but firmly. We still have him, and he's doing much better now. And by the way, Dr. Cronin, you won't have to worry about trying to pronounce his last name anymore. It's Adams now. He's our son. We've adopted him. Friends, isn't that what the good news of the gospel is all about? Isn't that what it means to be marked by grace? There's no way we deserve it. There's no way we should be here this morning. But Jesus stands before us, and he extends the offer to us that he extended to them. He says, take and eat and drink. So this morning, um, regardless of who you are, regardless of what you've done, regardless of how you feel about yourself right now, maybe how shameful you feel, regardless of how painfully you are aware of your faults and your failures, your faithlessness, I invite you to accept the offer. I invite you to simply, this morning, let yourself be overwhelmed with the wonder of it all. As you receive these elements this morning, I invite you to arise and come to Jesus and let him embrace you in his arms. And then as you leave the service, I just want to invite you to do one thing. Think of someone you know, someone that you interact with. You know, someone that you don't particularly like. Maybe they've hurt you. Maybe they just get under your skin. Maybe there's someone it's easy for you to disdain. I invite you, as you go out of this place this morning, to begin to treat and to reach out and to embrace that person the way that Christ has treated and reached out and embraced you. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.